welcome to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Join us every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio for a look at the life, deeds, and words of Yeshua Messiah and his followers. From the Torah-centric Hebraic perspective, they were originally lived and written in. Today's program is inspired by Mark chapter 11, verse 27, through Mark chapter 12, verse 17. What is real authority? Are there different kinds of authority? If so, what are the different kinds of authority? Are authority and power the same thing? What is kingdom authority? And where must real authority come from? Stay tuned through to the end of this special program for Eliyahu Ben David's insight on real authority. And now, here's Eliyahu Ben David. But shalom, friends. We're going to get a look at real authority. You know, authority is such a big issue, and there's so much confusion about authority. And these particular verses will give us some jumping-off points to understand some things about authority. Now, these specific verses, these incidents here, I've commented on in the past when we were doing the book of Matthew. So I'm not going to deal tonight with those specific verses because I've done that already. But the underlying issue of what was happening between Yeshua Messiah and these chief priests and scribes and Herodians and Pharisees, well, all of this is really about authority. Here's what was really going on, okay? Messiah was the king. He was the king by right of covenant. He was the king by right of the fact that he's the son of God, and in every way, he's the rightful king. So he came to Jerusalem to assume his authority over Jerusalem and over his people. And his very first order of business was to clean house in the temple because the temple is the house of Elohim. And that's where it all had to start. So this is exactly what he did. And he went in there and he cleaned out the money changers and all the thieves that were using the house of God as a place for them to enrich themselves. The ruling elite didn't like that because this was their own personal cash cow. That's how they looked at it. 
they believed they were the ones that had the authority. And they definitely had power. No question about that. So you have a conflict here. And the conflict is actually over the question of authority. And that's what we want to look at tonight. So I think to really understand what's going on here with Messiah, we ought to take a look at some of the basics about authority itself, what it is, how it works, some things like that. The better we understand authority, you know, the better we know what to do, how to position ourselves, how to respond to certain things that take place. So here's the word authority from the Greek scriptures. And this is the word that was used by the chief priests and the scribes and so on when they asked Yeshua, where does this authority of yours come from? It's the word exousia, exousia. And the basic meaning of the word is permitted or lawful. In other words, the person who has authority, it is lawful for them to exercise that authority. And it further tells us that this word comes from two other words, and one of them means denoting origin, and the other means to be present. So what this is really indicating for us with the word authority, it has to do with where things originate. So keep that thought in mind. Now we're going to talk a little more about that, but we want to contrast authority with this other word, power. Now a lot of people think that authority and power are synonymous with each other, that they're just two different words that mean the same thing. This is not true. In the Greek scriptures, we find power, the word power, in a number of places. One place is in chapter 1 of the book of Acts, where it uses the Greek word dunamis, the word that dynamite comes from. And that gives you some sense or some idea of what power is about. Power is force. Force. Now, this comes from another Greek word that means to be able, or it's possible for you. So, a person could have the power to rule, and yet not have the authority to rule. And this happens sometimes. Dictators sometimes will force their rulership over people through force, through power, without actually having authority given to them. Now, also, it's possible to have authority, which is the right to rule, but not have the power to do it. For instance, this would happen where the people aren't willing. So even though you have the authority, you don't have the power 
So authority and power are not the same thing, even though they are closely related. So let's get back now to authority and look at the English word, which actually comes out of the Latin, makes its way finally to English. And the origin of the word is basically the same as author. So the author of something is the one that has authority. See how that word works? And again, we're going back to the origin. So true authority must issue from the author, that is the originator of a thing. Now, here's another word, sovereign. A sovereign is one that exercises supreme, permanent authority. So we call this sovereign authority. So then the person who is the originator, by definition, has sovereign authority over what they originate. Of course, the best example of this is Yahweh, our creator, the author and creator of all things. And we have Isaiah 45 that explains this to us. It says, Israel will be saved by Yahweh with an everlasting salvation. You will not be disappointed nor confounded to ages everlasting. Now that particular verse, I didn't need to quote that one, but I couldn't leave it out because isn't that a wonderful thing to read? And the only reason that that can stand, the only reason that Israel can be saved by Yahweh with an everlasting salvation is because he has supreme authority, and therefore he can make that happen. Let's read the rest of the passage. For thus says Yahweh, who created the heavens, the Elohim who formed the earth and made it, who established it and didn't create it a waste, who formed it to be inhabited, I am Yahweh, and there is no other. Yahweh stands in a unique place in all the universe because he created the heavens. He created the earth and everything in it. So he has the supreme sovereign authority over everything because it's all his, including you and me. It's all his. And that makes us responsible to him. He has authority. And if we obey him, we're recognizing his authority. And if we don't obey him, we're not. That's all very simple for all of us. So under this principle of sovereign authority, Individuals can have sovereign authority that is still subject to his sovereign authority. You have sovereign authority over those things that you originate in your life. So, for example, if you work and you earn money and you buy things, well, 
those things are yours. You have authority over those. If you make things, those things are yours. You have authority over them. If you author a book, it's even recognized in law. You have something called copyright that recognizes you are the author and you have authority and rights over the book, and so on. So a person can have sovereign authority. But this is always limited by the sovereign authority of the supreme sovereign, Yahweh. And as I mentioned, laws actually recognize this natural order of authority. Property laws, covenants, recognize this. How could you make a covenant with someone that I'll give you this if you'll pay me that unless you actually had authority over your things? So obviously laws actually reflect this order of authority. Now here's another kind of authority that we should be interested in. We'll call this delegated authority. Definitions.net says this about delegated authority. Delegated authority is an authority obtained from another that has sovereign authority, since the authority does not naturally exist. For example, let's say you need to register your vehicle. So you go down to the department, whatever jurisdiction you're under, and you fill out the proper paperwork, you pay the money and so on, and you get a registration for your vehicle. Now, the person that actually administers all that for you and gives you the paperwork, outside of that office, they don't have any authority at all to give you anything, do they? They can't give you your license. They can't give you your registration. They're just a person. But when they're working in the office, they have delegated authority, and they represent that specific bureaucracy. And with that delegated authority, they're able to give you what you're looking for there. That's how delegated authority works. Those who have delegated authority do not have the authority themselves. They're operating under the authority of another. Now, any sovereign authority let's talk about the state for a minute, they can choose to delegate some of their authority to another. And this is true of you and I. Let's say you are the author of a book and you have copyrights and so on. And now somebody wants to make a movie out of your book. Well, to do that, they're going to have to talk to you and probably you'll agree to a licensing agreement where you get paid a certain amount for them using your book because you have the sovereign authority over your book, but you're willing to delegate some of the rights to the person making the movie. Now, this goes in a whole lot of different ways. You're a parent. You are a sovereign authority in your home because as a parent, those children came from you. And so, therefore, you have authority over your children. And so, therefore, when you say, Bobby, go do the dishes, 
Bobby should go and do the dishes, right? And now has delegated authority to do that. It's really a simple principle. So any person under delegated authority is an agent of a sovereign authority and is responsible to that sovereign authority and otherwise has no authority of his own in the delegated sphere of authority. Now here we have the ultimate example of delegated authority. When Yahweh created mankind, he delegated authority to mankind. And he said, Elohim created man in his own image. In Elohim's image, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Elohim blessed them. Elohim said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Well, it's very easy as we read that to see that Yahweh delegated authority to mankind over the earth, giving mankind dominion in the earth. Well, let's look at that word a minute. Dominion means to rule, be lord of, exercise lordship over. And to be lord means to be the master of something. We don't really use that word very much. Usually today, when we say lord, we mean the Lord God. But actually, in the past, the Lord has been a common word for people who were in positions of authority. So that's what dominion is. And it has to do with the right to rule. Those who have a dominion, in other words, that authority or right to rule, have a domain. And the domain is the territory over which dominion is exercised. So, for instance, with mankind, they were given authority over the dominion of the earth. Does mankind have dominion over Mars? Over heaven? See, people today don't care about this. They don't care whether they have authority from God or not. They don't care whether he's even authorized what they're doing. And we should care because our creator has established limits. And we only have authority within those limits. If we act beyond the limits that he has set, we are in rebellion. We're doing something presumptuous. And this is why it's so important for us to understand authority. Well, also, when we look at this delegated authority to mankind, we have another sort of authority, and this is natural authority. And as we've seen, Elohim delegated authority over the earth to the first human pair created 
in his image. Now, there's a lot implied in that. Created in his image. It means that human beings are endowed with certain characteristics of the creator himself. And these have to do with things like intelligence, but also characteristics like love and mercy and justice and righteousness and appreciation of beauty, the ability to create music, many, many different things that all come out of the fact that human beings are created in the image of their creator. Now, along with this authority are certain rights, because if you have authority, it has to do with rights. You have a right to certain things if you have authority. The Creator has endowed every person with natural authority and the natural rights that derive from that. Because when Yahweh made this pronouncement to the first man and woman, he wasn't just talking to them. He was talking to the human race and everyone that would come from them. So that means that every person that is born has this natural authority to operate in the image of God in this domain of the earth. Yes, we're all lords and ladies. We really are. That's the plan of Yahweh for mankind. Now, that got kind of messed up, but that's a whole other story, isn't it? But that was his plan. Now, down through history, unfortunately, that plan has gotten largely ignored. The rights of human beings have been largely ignored. And then something amazing happened. The Bible was translated into the language of the common man. That only happened about 500 years ago. When the Bible got into the hands of the English-speaking world, it caused just an amazing uproar in the world. Because when the common man got to see in the Scriptures who he really was and what he was endowed with and the freedom that he was meant to have, it changed everything. And people started looking into that, and they started learning about authority, and they started learning about freedom, and it just caused, it was like a bubbling pot. And it caused a lot of tension between the ruling powers and the common people. And eventually this led to certain believers who had come to what we today call America so they could be free. They identified with Israel, and they wanted to live according to the laws of Yahweh. So they pulled away from the authorities of the world they were under to establish a place of their own where they could freely serve God. Now, as always happens, there are people who were not of that opinion that came here too, eventually. But nevertheless, the majority of the people were people who were Bible believers. And because of this, 
natural authority became known. And some of our great thinkers of that time period were able to articulate these things. They're able to see the big picture of what this was all about. And this ended up being incorporated into the Constitution of the United States of America. And this was truly an amazing thing when this happened, because it marked the beginning of a nation that was different than any other nation, a nation that actually acknowledged God and acknowledged where our rights come from. So in the preamble to the Constitution, it says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Right out of the book of Genesis, isn't it? And of course, what the Constitution puts forward is that the government has the responsibility of safeguarding the rights of its sovereign citizens. That's what the Constitution is about. How long can that document last? However, it's very interesting that this happened and this difference has been so significant in the world because while the United States of America is guilty of many sins, it has lasted a long time and prospered on this cornerstone of the Constitution. A really amazing thing, and the reason it has worked is because it is acknowledging reality. Natural authority is reality because Yahweh created it that way. You know, whenever you acknowledge reality and you live according to what's real, things work. Whenever you do something else, it's not going to work because it's not reality. So the fact that it has worked so amazingly well, even despite everything else that's been done wrong, is evidence of the truth of natural authority and the rights that we are endowed with by our Creator, that He has given us as a part of natural authority. And look where this puts us. All men are created equal. Now, that doesn't mean we're all the same in every way. You know, some of us are smarter than others. Some of us could arm wrestle me and put me right down right now. You know, people have lots of different abilities and so on. But it's not talking about all that. It's talking about our rights, our authority in the earth. On that level, all people are created equal. We all have this same delegated authority from our creator. So when you're looking another person in the eye, you're looking at a Lord or a lady appointed by the creator of the universe. So don't call them names. Don't treat them bad because they're operating under the same authority in this earth as you are. 
Isn't this a wonderful reason for all of us to respect one another? When you think about it, it's pretty amazing. And all are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Even that guy I don't like. Something to think about. You know, these principles, you know where they originated, don't you? In our nation. In the nation of Israel. Everyone under the same law. The foreigner as well as the natural born. This originated in the Torah of Israel. And it has enlightened the world. It's just an amazing thing. And now we see many who want to totally abandon it. And what fools they are. That brings us to these questions. If natural authority is really the thing, then where do kings and kingdoms, and I should add tyrants and despots, come from? Do they have authority from Yahweh? Well, let's get back to natural authority a little bit to answer that. The natural order of authority that Yahweh established for men and women and for their families naturally grew into tribal government of nations. And it's really easy to see why that happened. Because Adam and Eve had kids, right? Their kids had kids. Their kids had kids. Adam is still alive. He lived to almost a thousand years. So who do you think was leading for a while? Pretty easy to figure that out, isn't it? As time went by, people died off. But those who were older and wiser were the ones that continued to exercise leadership. And they were called the elders. Why were they called elders? They're older. Really simple. It's not rocket science, right? That was the world. That's how it operated. So families grew into clans, and clans grew into tribes and tribal government was the kind of government we had, and it all came from natural authority. And it was really kind of beautiful, if you think about it, because it just flowed from the Creator down through the family structure. i got to tell you, our Creator loves families. This was His plan from the beginning. Families. This is what is different about mankind from the angels in heaven. Families. It is an amazing thing. Families are an amazing thing, amazing gift from Yahweh. And his authority just flowed through in that way. If you want evidence of that, look at Genesis 10. There it lays out for us the families that came from Noah and his three sons and eventually turned into nations. 
And at the end of that chapter, it says, these are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations in their nations. Of these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. Now, words are very important. What do you think of when you hear the word nation, when you read the word nation in the scriptures? Do you think of a country? Well, a country and a nation are entirely two different things. A country is a place, a jurisdiction, you might say. A nation is a group of people descended from a common ancestor. Nations are about blood. Nations are about families. That's what a real nation is. Why do you think in the world today, Satan and his henchmen are trying to mix up all the nations into a so-called melting pot? Why do you think they want to do that? It's because Satan understands these things I'm telling you about authority. And he wants to interrupt that flow of authority from Yahweh that naturally flows through nations of people. That's what it's about. And in fact, you see that on every level, right? Look at the natural authority in families. Satan hates that. So therefore, what do you see his people doing? Totally trying to break up families, right? You've got same-sex marriage, which is a sin. You have feminism, which is really a violation of the family order. And really, so much disorder in terms of how children are raised that we can't even go into all of it. What is all that about? Isn't that all meant to frustrate the order of Yahweh among men and women in the earth? Isn't that what it's about? It helps to really understand how Yahweh ordered the world and what the true flow of authority really is. Well, even in our fallen world, that was working pretty well until this guy came along, the first human king. He's called Nimrod in the Bible, but Nimrod is simply a word that means the rebel. He rebelled against God and against God's natural order. And he established a kingdom, not by the authority of the creator, but by the use of force, forcing people under his control on the bogus principle of might makes right. In other words, I'm the strongest, so you have to do what I tell you. This is not from Yahweh. This disregards the rights of people, the authority of people that comes from Yahweh. It really is a perversion of authority. But that's where human kings came from. 
And it tells us there in Genesis 10 about this. It says, Cush became the father of Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. And it says the beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kelna in Shinar. Out of that land, he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur, Kala, and Rezin. So you see what he did? He created a kingdom, his kingdom, and he created it by the use of force. This is where kings and kingdoms came from in the world. Kings and kingdoms of this world issue from Babel, the Tower of Babel. And the originator of the Tower of Babel, Nimrod. And Babel means confusion. And that's what we've got. You look at the nations of the world, right? Fighting against one another, arguing against one another. And what is that all about? It's about not authority, it's about power. You see the nations vying with one another, seeking to be in a higher position, seeking to have more power. This is what kingdoms are about. They claim to have authority, and we're going to talk about that issue. But it's really based on power, the use of force. That's what kings and kingdoms of this world are about. Don't go away. Eliyahu will be right back with more on Real Authority right after this. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is. And walk in it. Repentance 
Welcome back. Here's more insight from Eliyahu Ben David on Real Authority. Now, I think this part is kind of amazing. And that is that even though the kingdoms of this world have come about in this way, like brutish beasts, nevertheless, the people chose this. The people decided they wanted to have kings because it took a lot of responsibility off of them. And so, because they chose this, and they chose Nimrod, they chose these other kings that followed, they chose to accept 
their claimed authority. Yahweh allowed the world to choose government by kings and kingdoms. He, He didn't institute it, but he allowed it because this is what they chose. And since the people have authority, right, from him, if they choose to allow someone to be king, isn't that real authority? So, you know, a lot of times things happen because the people don't know what's going on, they don't understand authority, and they make the wrong choices. But this has happened with kings and kingdoms. And Yahweh has then allowed kings and kingdoms to rule in the world, but he has reserved the ultimate authority unto himself. The kings and kingdoms of this world do not have authority over him. We have this interesting passage from Daniel chapter 2. Daniel answered, Blessed be the name of Elohim forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. So, ultimately, even though you could call these kings and kingdoms rogues from Yahweh's original order, in another way you have to say that they rule with his authority because he removes the kings and he sets up the kings in the world. Why does he do that? Because he's moving everything according to his plan, to bring everything back to his original plan. So even though they may be his enemies, he is able to move things through history to bring it to that place where everything is set right. So when we look at it from this point of view, all authority is from Elohim. And you may be familiar with these verses in Romans chapter 13, where it tells us there is no authority except from Elohim. Those who exist are ordained by Elohim. Therefore, he who resists the authority withstands the ordinance of Elohim. So this means that we as believers need to recognize the rightful authority of those officials of the nation we live in, in that jurisdiction. It's that simple. And the scripture says you need to be in subjection. Does that mean you have to like everything they do? I certainly hope you don't. Because they do a lot of things that are ungodly and always have. But nevertheless, Yahweh allows them to operate with authority. And to be in subjection to them is to be in subjection to him as long as he allows them. And what does that involve? Well, besides obeying the law, It says here, for this reason, you also pay taxes. But I don't like paying taxes. Am I in subjection to the authority of Yahweh? 
then I need to do this. That's what the verses say. Pay taxes. Give, therefore, to everyone what you owe. Taxes, to whom taxes are due. Customs, to whom customs. Respect, to whom respect. Honor, to whom honor. A policeman stops you for going too fast. Be respectful. Right? This is what Yahweh would want us to do. Treat the officials with respect. Even if maybe you know the person and they're not a very good person. Well, you still need to respect them and respect their office. That's what this is telling us. And we need to do that. You know, it's kind of interesting. If you read the book of Jeremiah and the story of Jeremiah, he told the king of Israel and all the people, what you need to do is right now you need to dismantle your government and you need to obey the king of Babylon. And the people saw him as a traitor. But he was speaking the word of Yahweh. And Yahweh had withdrawn his support from the king of Israel and was allowing the king of Babylon to come in as a punishment to Israel. And the people could have saved their own lives by submitting to that change in authority that came from Yahweh. And that would have meant that they would be submitting to Babylon, a country that worshipped false gods. Some of these things aren't easy to figure out. It's not necessarily intuitive, but this was the case. And therefore, this is true for us, that we need to submit to the nations of this world. Now, what about conflicts? Because you know what? Some nations are going to tell you to do things that Yahweh does not approve of. Or they're going to try to prevent you from doing what he has commanded you. What happens then? Can you just say, well, they're the higher authorities I'm under, so I have to do this evil thing, and it's their fault? No. Here's what the apostles said. We ought to obey God rather than men. And they were thrown in prison because they would not obey human authorities that told them, stop preaching on the basis of this name. They would not stop. And they were put in prison. So you know what? Sometimes there are conflicts that are going to happen. And Yahweh is the supreme authority, right? So it's not hard to figure out. Since he's the supreme authority, we need to obey him in all situations, even if the government we're under doesn't like that, and even if there might be some punishments that would come to us because of that. And this has been the position of believers throughout every age. For instance, we talked about Babylon. What about 
Daniel in the lion's den. There was a law passed that he couldn't pray to any other god but to the uh, king. And he always prayed to Yahweh. He didn't stop. And he knew what the penalty was. He was going to be thrown into a den of lions. Okay, that's what was going to happen. See, he was honoring the authority of the supreme ruler, who is Yahweh. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, same thing happened with them, right? And they were thrown in the fiery furnace. And remember what they said? Whether our God will save us or not, we don't know. But we're not going to bow down to your God. You know, Yahweh may step in and save you. He might not. That really is not the issue, is it? Authority is the issue. And let me tell you this. Just like the verses we're looking at were totally bound up with this issue of authority. That was at the center of it, the foundation of it all, this issue of authority. As we come into these very final days of this final generation, this is going to be the issue more than ever before. The issue of authority. Because there's going to be a ruler over this whole world. And he's going to say, you must take this mark that means you worship me or I'll kill you. And right there, we have to decide who our authority is going to be. Actually, we ought to decide before we get there. Authority is the issue. And isn't that what Yahweh is looking for in the world? Isn't this who the remnant are? The people who recognize the authority of the Creator even when it is not convenient for them to do so. That's the remnant. That's another facet from which you can look at the remnant. That's who they are. We ought to obey God rather than men. Well, now we get to Davidic kingdom authority. See, there is kingdom authority. And it's kind of interesting, this kingdom authority does come from God. It is part of his plan. But it's certainly different than the kings and kingdoms of this world. Only one kingdom in the earth has been granted an eternal right to rule via covenant with the creator. One kingdom, the kingdom of David. And this is why the descendants of David have been hunted down and persecuted for centuries. This is why all of the kings of Europe have claimed descent from the line of David, trying to grasp on to some legitimacy for their kingdom, because they don't have anything like this they can point to. They don't have some covenant with God that proves that 
they have the right to rule. Davidic authority. This all springs from a covenant that Yahweh made with David, the king that he raised up in Israel. And here's just a little bit of the covenant. He said to David, when your days are fulfilled and you shall sleep with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who shall proceed out of your bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. So, what does this mean? It's very clear, isn't it? Yahweh was going to raise up an everlasting house and kingdom to David. So even after he died, that authority would be passed on through his house, that is his family, for how long? Forever. How long is forever? It's a long time, isn't it? Well, when we think of the Davidic kingdom, usually we think about the Messiah. And we certainly should. Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, tells us about this. And of course, this is all bound up with the Davidic covenant. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end on the throne of David and on his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from that time on, even forever the zeal of Yahweh of hosts will perform this. So the Messiah is the ultimate king of the Davidic kingdom. And don't you love reading these verses? Finally, we're going to have the kind of ruler that we need in this world. The Messiah, ruling on the throne of David, establishing the kingdom of David over the whole world and bringing all of those blessings, the very authority of God over the whole world. Amazing, amazing thing. And Yahweh is seeing to it. And of course, in Luke, the first chapter, it tells us of the beginning of the fulfillment of this promise. And the angel Gabriel said this to Mary, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with Elohim. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and will call his name Yeshua. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Adonai Elohim will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. There will be no end to his kingdom. Well, let me say here, we have Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, that tells us this child would be born who would have this authority over the kingdom of David. 
And here in Luke, the first chapter, it tells us of the child that was born with this incredible announcement in the line of David. With Davidic authority, according to the Davidic covenant, to reign over the house of Jacob forever, no end to his kingdom. Just fantastic. Just fantastic. And of course, he's ruling over his people right now, right? And he has the authority over all of us. And it's a blessing. We have some verses that confirm this, just a couple of things. Matthew 28, Yeshua himself says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This is the Davidic kingdom, the Messianic kingdom. This is the Messiah with authority over all. In Ephesians, it tells us about the Messiah seated in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. So that is the Messiah, far above every authority. And all of the kings of the world will submit to him or they will face the consequences. That's how that's going to work out. I think when we look at something so grand as this, this is based on the Davidic kingdom authority, we ought to look at it a little closer. What we will find is that Messiah rules in heaven, and other Davidic leaders lead under his authority having delegated authority. For instance, we know in the first century, after Yeshua ascended to heaven, his brother James, who was also of that Davidic line, became the leader of the assembly. And after James was martyred, Simeon became the leader of that assembly. And later, Judah became the leader, and so on for hundreds of years until we have lost track of that. And all of that was designated according to the Davidic covenant. In other words, you've probably heard the theory from Christians that everything in the Old Testament was done away with. And yet we run into this problematic word of forever, right? when we read these things. No, it's all his word. Nothing he ever said can be undone by anybody. It's his word. The Davidic covenant is forever. And so Messiah himself, in establishing his kingdom, put into effect Davidic leaders according to the Davidic covenant. Jeremiah 33 gives us some verses about that. Thus says Yahweh, if my covenant of day and night fails, if I have not appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth, 
Then will I also cast away the seed of Jacob and of David my servant, so that I will not take of his seed to be rulers over the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will cause their captivity to return and will have mercy on them. Well, this is all really neat because what Yahweh said here, as long as this day and night, this Davidic covenant will continue to be into effect. And not only is the Messiah king according to the Davidic covenant, but you notice it says that Yahweh would take of the seed of David to provide rulers or leaders over the seed of Abraham. And this is what you see even in the first century assembly. This is how it operated. This is according to the authority of Yahweh. And it's so interesting that it ends here by saying, I will cause their captivity to return and I will have mercy on them. Is this not talking about the remnant in the last days? Should we not expect that this Davidic covenant would be honored by God in the last days? So pretty amazing when you look into the scriptures. Now, besides the Davidic covenant, Messiah himself has authority. You know, David was supported by the house of David, that is his family, but there were others throughout the kingdom that had important leadership roles that he delegated authority to in order to uphold the Davidic kingdom. This kind of gives us a picture of what Messiah does too, that he knows who the faithful, responsible people are within his kingdom, and he delegates authority to them for a variety of different ministries for the growth of his assembly. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 tell us this. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some shepherds and teachers for the perfecting of the holy ones, to the work of serving, to the building up of the body of Messiah, until we all attain in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of Elohim, to a full-grown man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Messiah. Wow, huh? One head over the body, Yeshua Messiah. Different members set into place in his perfect order, all for the purpose of building up his body in love until we all reach full maturity and his body functioning in the earth perfectly reflects him and his authority in the world. Do you have that picture in your head? you want to be a part of that, then you must understand the flow of authority 
as it comes forth from the Messiah. The apostle does not interfere with the work of the evangelist, but helps to empower him. The prophet does not interfere with the teacher, but supplements and helps to empower him, right? We don't get in one another's way. We work with one another, with the particular authority and ministry that each of us has, and we grow within that ministry. And you know what often happens? Then we're given another ministry, and we're promoted. And within the kingdom, the promotions of Yeshua Messiah go to the faithful. And by faithful in this context, I mean those who are responsible, those who follow through, those who do the things that come under the ministry that they have, and those who are diligent, he promotes them. That's how it works. We have so many examples of this in Scripture. And so recognizing his authority and recognizing our own authority is really important. You know, each of us needs to do that. We need to kind of take a tally in our own life of areas of authority that we have to operate in. And you're in the image of God, right? I'm in the image of God. Represent God in that sphere of authority that he has given you. And it doesn't matter how small or how great it is. If it's from him, it's a sacred thing. Have you been given the authority to scrub the toilet in the assembly where you meet? Well, that's a sacred thing. That is a sacred thing. And if you do that well, he'll promote you to something else, to something you might like better. David said that he would be content to be a gatekeeper in the house of God. He didn't need to be the king. As long as he was with Yahweh, part of his kingdom, that's what he wanted to be able to dwell with Yahweh. And it's such a freeing thing when we understand the authority that comes from Yahweh and we submit to it and we do our part to lift up his kingdom in the world. It really makes a difference. It makes a difference for us. It makes a difference for others. You know, we have people right now that are called to function in certain ways, but they can't function yet because they're waiting for somebody else to come along that's already been called, but who hasn't stepped up yet. We have some of that. We have some stones that are not yet put into place in the temple that other stones are going to be stacked on. And you see, the stones are not just random. The way that Messiah does it, It's certain stones that are meant to be put in a certain order. He knows exactly how it's all supposed to go together. So it's so important for us to recognize his authority in our life and to choose to submit to that and to work along with it. Messiah delegates authority for a variety of ministries 
For what purpose? Is it to make us feel important? Well, it does make you feel important in a good way, doesn't it? To know that you are a son or a daughter of the living God, that you have been regarded as part of his family, and you've been given authority in certain areas to actually be a part of building his kingdom. Yeah, that does make you feel good, but it also contributes to the growth of his body. First of all, because it's contributing to your growth as his child, but then through you, helping your brothers and sisters to grow in the faith. So that's a rather wonderful thing. And, of course, there's a lot of different ministries. You know, it's kind of interesting that in some religions, and the argument could be made every religion, there is an effort to try to make everybody the same. You know, there's sometimes you go to a place and you'll see there's a certain dress code and people talk all the same. Everybody's kind of the same. Yahweh operates completely different. You know, he's made you a unique person. There is nobody else like you. You have certain talents and abilities. You have a certain way of approaching things that is uniquely your own. And he knows exactly where to set you in his kingdom. And that's the way it's supposed to work. So if we understand this, doesn't it help us to get along with our brothers and sisters? Because if somebody's really different than you and sees things really different than you, rejoice in that because they're made for something different than you. And that doesn't invalidate them. It's just the difference between a finger and an eye, right? That's all it is. One other thing about kingdom authority, it must come from Messiah via an anointing of the Holy Spirit. What do I mean by that? I mean going to school and studying to become a pastor does not give you the authority to be a pastor. Having a doctor of divinity degree does not give you kingdom authority. Being really smart doesn't give you kingdom authority. You know, I had a time in my ministry where I visited a lot of different churches. And so I had an opportunity to get to see how different churches and different denominations operated. And what I found out is that where there was a pastor in that church who had an actual anointing from Messiah, it was immediately visible. You could tell right away. Unfortunately, most of the churches that I went to, their pastor had no anointing. You know, their parents wanted them to go to seminary or they thought it would be a good life or whatever. And they ended up being a pastor and 
Yet the flock suffered because they had no anointing. We must return to Messiah's way of doing things. We must recognize his kingdom authority and his authority that he delegates to those whom he chooses and whom he anoints with the Holy Spirit for their ministry. When you see a person who is operating in the anointing of the Holy Spirit within his ministry, you'll feel the peace of God. You will recognize the Spirit. Your Spirit will bear witness with that, and you can see. Others may be very smooth. They may be very good communicators, so on. Frankly, there's so many false teachers, and no doubt you've seen them. And a lot of them are associated with doctrines by which they make themselves rich. Are these people anointed by God? They're deceivers, is what they are. So be careful of those who do not have true kingdom authority. Well, that's about all we have time for. I kind of went kind of long with this already. And there's so much more, really, about authority, and probably we'll have an opportunity to go into more of this another time. But do think about these things and think about how they affect your life and think about how important it is for each one of us who's part of the remnant to recognize and lift up the authority of Messiah. You have been listening to Hebraic Insights in the Gospels. Some of the scripture verses referenced in today's program are Mark chapter 11 verse 27 through chapter 12 verse 17. Isaiah 45 verse 17 and verse 18. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 through verse 28. Genesis chapter 10, especially verse 8, verse 10 through 12, and verse 32. Daniel chapter 2 verse 20 through verse 21. Romans 13 verse 1 through verse 7. Acts chapter 5 verse 29. 2 Samuel, chapter 7, verse 12 through verse 16. Isaiah 9, verse 6 through verse 7. Luke, chapter 1, verse 30 through verse 33. Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 19 through verse 23. Jeremiah, chapter 33, verse 25 through verse 26. And Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 11 through verse 16. Further teachings and study materials on kingdom authority, the kingdom government Messiah set up in the first century, the twelve apostles, James, Simon, and the other Davidic leaders of the assembly, prophets, apostles, evangelists, and other ministry callings, the remnant, grafted in Gentiles, the renewed temple, the greater exodus, end-time prophecy and the anti-messiah, Daniel, the other prophets, and Yeshua Messiah's authority as the King of Israel, along with many other related topics, can be found at our membership site, Zion Tabernacle. 
Sign up is free. Just go to zion.net. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot N-E-T. New programs on the Gospels will be airing every Sabbath on Zion Road Radio. Tune in next Shabbat to learn more from Hebraic insights in the Gospels. Shabbat Shalom! The restoration of the remnant of Israel is one of the most undertaught, neglected, and unknown major events in Bible prophecy. A strange fact, since prophecies and references to this event can be found all throughout almost every major book of the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. Now, Yahweh has raised up Zion ministry to teach His remnant nation of Israel everything they need to know about this often neglected truth in His perfect timing. To learn who the remnant of Israel is, what the Zion mission is, and why we teach the things we do, go to our website at zion.org and click on Remnant Vision in the menu bar. That's T-S-I-Y-O-N dot O-R-G.
Sing for joy.